The Art of Leadership Network. Do we have a desire to have non-believers inside our church? Whoa. Okay, that sounds like a really obvious answer, right? And I will say, I don't believe that's as simple as it sounds. And, and I'll give you an example of why, and that, then I'll get to the heart of your question. If we agree that we are losing culture to faith, right? We're losing Christianity in the U.S., Canada, et cetera. We're losing, right? The trend lines show that. The more that we lose culture, the more my sanctuary becomes my literal sanctuary. This is where, you know, on Sunday, I get to gather with people who share my ideologies, who share my theology, who are my friends, my family. And for a moment, I get to escape culture. This is my safe space. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Today, we're going to talk all things small and mid-sized church. Do you know that 92% of churches are small, like under 250 people in worship? How do you reverse the decline in small, mid-sized, and stuck churches? Uh, We're going to talk about some secret sauce with my guest today. When I heard it, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So Daryl Kripe is joining us. Hey, today's episode is brought to you by the Art of Leadership Academy. So where do you turn to for advice about church leadership and growth? Obviously, this podcast, but do you ever want to go deeper? You can get instant access to an entire vault of online training programs and an amazing private online community at theartofleadership.com or click the link in the description of this episode. And today's episode is brought to you by church.tech. If you want to turn your sermons into small group guides, devotionals, and social media content with a click of a button, visit church.tech to get started and use the code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, at checkout. Well, Daryl Kripe is joining me today, and he has worked with hundreds of church leaders and boards of all sizes, and he serves on the lead team at Amplio.group, a group of ministry leaders partnering with churches to purposefully move the mission forward. He leads the areas for Amplio Group of Strategy and also partnering with churches, vision campaign fundraising, and lead pastor spiritual retreats. So we are going to talk about the secret sauce. How do you actually reverse the decline in small, mid-sized, and stuck churches? And when uh, I met him at the Global Leadership Summit last August, and when he told me this, I was just blown away because it was very parallel to my experience as well, only I think he takes it to another level. And if you've ever wondered how to reach new people with no money, how to hit the tipping point in church revitalization, um, well, tune in because I think you're really going to enjoy this. And one of the reasons, you know, we talk a lot about church planting and mega churches here, but the reality is 92% of all churches are small and the vast, vast, vast majority need revitalization. So conversations like this, I hope can help. So Speaking of turning to advice for church leadership and growth, what's your go-to source? And listen, I'm a big fan of podcasts, big fan of books, all of that stuff. But personally, I've worked with dozens of coaches, mentors, and consultants personally, like one-on-one over the years, people who help me navigate important decisions and situations. So if you're looking for the same in your church, you should check out the Art of Leadership Academy. One of the comments I get most from people thinking about joining is, Uh, So I'm a little bit hesitant. I hear about it a lot on this podcast, but what is the community going to be like? Well, 
I'll tell you, it's a community of growth-minded leaders creating a space for what I call the good people on the internet. It's a place where you can tap into everybody else's wisdom, not just mine, but other people's, and connect with people that you otherwise never would have crossed paths with. Here's an example of recent conversations. Matt and Brody both asked, I need to launch another service. Does anyone have advice, resources, or best practices to share to make sure it goes smoothly? Mistakes not to repeat. Thanks in advance. Lots of people chimed in with advice about the impact it'll have on leadership, how to do your volunteer teams, what the best timing is, children's teams, parking facilities, and more. Hey, Matt and Brody, these are great challenges to have. So the next time your church starts getting stuck with an issue or you have an issue, all you do when you join the Academy is open up the app and the answer is just a click or a DM away. So why don't you get in on it while you can? Go to theartofleadershipacademy.com. You'll get instant access to an entire vault of training programs, a private online community. That's theartofleadershipacademy.com or click the link in the description of this episode. Also, pastors, you probably spend a lot of time preparing your message, but do you ever wonder what happens to it after you've given it? How do you make sure it takes root in your church? Well, church.tech can help you turn your weekly sermon into small group study guides, devotionals based on your message, dinner table questions with icebreakers and deeper questions, sermon clips, social media content, and more with the click literally of one button. And yeah, you may want to edit them a little bit, but you know what? It's much easier to edit than to create from scratch. Think about the time and the staff this will save you, uh, particularly if you're a smaller church. Now your church's message can go further than ever with church.tech, and you can check it out. Go to church.tech to sign up and learn more, and don't forget to use the code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, at checkout. That's church.tech. Use the coupon code CAREY at checkout. And now my conversation with Daryl Kripe. Daryl, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Carrie, it is an absolute pleasure and so grateful for your ministry and the impact you have had on so many leaders. Thank you. Well, thank you. I'm really glad we met. We met in Chicago backstage at an event and uh, I heard your story and I'm like, man, everybody needs to hear this. So tell us, give us the like thumbnail. I already read your bio, et cetera, et cetera. But give us a thumbnail of like, what do you do? What's your bread and butter every day as you consult with church leaders? I have the unbelievable privilege of coming alongside leadership teams of churches and just helping them focus on mission afresh, anew, right? And um, it's nothing complex. In fact, one of the things that we say is our role with churches is not to be a consultant. We kind of reject that label a little bit. Um, There's nothing wrong with consulting, but at our core, we would say, you know, consulting is someone comes in, studies an organization, makes recommendations. Yeah. And we take a posture to say, I believe through my heart that local leaders are responsible for leading their local churches. And so we're very intentional as to say our role is to partner with leaders to ask the right questions, facilitate the right conversations, help them in discernment of next steps for their churches, especially in revitalization, uh, and to coach them on those decisions. But the decisions always rest with them and to guide them through processes to see that happen. Um, But they lead in their own context. And so um, over the last 10 years, unbelievable privilege to come alongside big churches and small churches and rural churches and urban churches across all denominations. And uh, Carrie, I get a front row seat, man, to what God is doing, right? And in churches that none of us will ever hear about, mm. which is is such a blessing at times to, re- to be reminded personally, like God is on the move. God mm. is doing things in local churches and to work with leaders is an amazing privilege. So what are you seeing on the church landscape? It's hard to believe we're four years on the other side 
of the beginning of COVID now, which is crazy, right? But it like, it's a whole new, it's a whole new era. So, and again, you, you work with mega churches, large churches, uh, but this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast. Your heart is for smaller churches and for church revitalization. And in all the conversations I'm having with church leaders, yeah, that comes up over and over and over again. So broad strokes, we'll start here. What are you seeing on the church landscape these days? The landscape has changed a bit, and we've seen some waves, and mm-hmm. those waves have been interesting. So what we saw in COVID, and this was across all spectrums of churches, right? Small churches, large churches, mainline, non-denominational. Um, COVID introduced, all the word I will use is innovation, that it forced innovation in the local church of all different kinds of churches. So everything from how do we get online or how do we improve our online um, how do we do discipleship when we're closed? Um, how do we do kids ministry? How do we do student ministries? What do we do about finances? And so there was this innovation that rose up during COVID because we had to adjust as leaders to how do we, quote, do church. And that innovation um, was exciting, and it put a lot of churches in new territory, which was was great. Um, but slowly, as COVID uh, wound down, if you will, um, some new realities set in. And so for most churches— we now have less people, mm-hmm. right? We have less attendees, and some people didn't come back. It also means we have less leaders. We have less volunteers. And in some cases, there were churches, right, that had less finances to accomplish their previous ministries. But most important, I think what we saw in the landscape change was a very slow realization amongst church leaders, again, across all sizes, denominations, locations, that the local church, their local church had not produced the level of discipleship they had assumed. <laughs> there you go. It became an interesting conversation. So this was primarily, it was manifested in how Christians were reacting to, let's say, political environment in the U.S., how Christians were reacting to wearing masks or not wearing masks and church closures, um, how Christians were responding to racial topics or immigration topics. And so there were these cultural realities. And what leaders were starting to see was the response to those realities. And I want to be clear, on both sides of the spectrum of politics, for instance. And to some extent, there was just this kind of overwhelming, like, are we behaving like Christ followers? Mm -hmm. And it started to be puzzling to leaders a little bit, right? And it was fascinating. Like, over the last couple of years, it was literally impossible for me, Carrie, to step into a room with church leaders, even small churches. And the overall topic of discipleship uh, was not front and center. It was the topic of what do we do about this and why are people behaving like this, including themselves, including me, right? And so in that, we saw all the way through, I would say about midway into 2022, um, there was this overall increased desire for refreshing evangelism and discipleship. It was like, how do we refresh that? It isn't working the way we thought. Mm -hmm. We lost people. We've got people behaving badly. We have people didn't come back. So What's the innovation? Um, It was no longer about how to be closed or how to do online or how to disciple online. It was much more around how are we going to reach people and grow people that we didn't produce what we thought, right? And so there was so much energy in the leadership rooms. We sat around um, of how are we going to do things different? Who's doing things well? How do we reach people? That was kind of the topic. Um, Even more so, I think, though, if I'm honest, uh, it was how are we going to create disciples that are not disciples of the U.S. or not Mm. disciples of politics um, or a social topic, uh, but rather disciples of Jesus. And so we'd send these large churches or small churches, and that would be the topic. What are we going to try? Here's where things get interesting in terms of landscape, I think, and this has been kind of our experience. It was probably around late 2022, just last year and early into this year, 
we started to notice a pretty f- uh, fairly significant change in those same churches. The first thing we noticed was that a lot of leaders were simply exhausted, and it started to manifest. And so what we started to see, the first change was this. Those original talks of experimenting, of trying new things, of increasing our intentionality of being on mission, were being replaced with discussions of how do we slow down? How do we circle the wagons? How do we keep who we have um, of focusing on the immediate needs in the church? And Carrie, I have to say, it was a pretty dramatic shift that caught me off guard. And I honestly believe that maybe what we were seeing was that we had church leaders who had been through a few years of being forced into change and innovation. Mm. And all of kind of the uh, cultural crises stabilized into a new norm. And they no longer needed to respond to crises. And when we don't have to respond to something, what do we do? We crash. And we realize that we need to replenish. And we saw that. And I think that's healthy and good. Like, right? Like, we should replenish. But then, and this is the key to your question, I think, it was starting the spring and into the summer. That replenishment was happening, and we started having conversations again, and and there was life coming back into church leadership teams, except there was one major change. Um, All of those previous topics of discipleship, evangelism, how do we refresh that, have have faded. Really? They just have. It has absolutely faded. And the conversations we're having now, if I could put it in simple terms, is this. The conversations we have now, the things that leaders are talking about, are the same conversations we were having in 2019. And it is back to keeping who we have, um, you know, not wanting to innovate. Um, how do we fix this little thing, tweak this little thing? And for me, <laughs> kind of the outside view of this, I just, there's this piece of me, man, it's just, no, 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 no. Like, where's the urgency? What happened? We know all the trend lines are going the wrong way, right? Where'd that urgency go? And I, it has been puzzling at best. And I know that sounds like so much like I'm being critical or being negative leaders. And that's not my heart at all. Um, Here's what I think instead. I think that because of COVID, because of the alignment of Christianity to politics more than ever, um, the rise of racial tensions, the overall climate and the culture of divisiveness, right? We can't disagree anymore. Um, And then the overall just decrease in faith of of people in their church. um, I think it has revealed that there is this deep need for change and adapting in discipleship and evangelism. And I think we're starting to realize it's so deep, especially for smaller mid-sized churches. Mm. Um, we don't actually know what to do. Mm. Like, I think we are entering uncharted territory, at least in the U S and to some extent, I would say we're probably slowly catching up with Canada and Europe. Yeah. And there is a much, you know, a, a real a recognition that this is not just better preaching. Mm. This isn't better just tweaks to small groups. Like, we're entering a new era of how do we even live out our faith in the U.S.? How do we do that? How do we reach and disciple people? And I don't think we know what to do. Mm. And because of that, not having a roadmap anymore and the exhaustion, it's just a pulling back to what we've always done and somehow expecting we're going to have different results. Um, And it breaks my heart for leadership teams because here's the truth. I don't know either. I don't know. Mm. I know the landscape has changed. And uh, it is going to take experimenting. It is going to take innovation on discipleship and evangelism. But leadership teams are tired and unclear what to do. And I think we're watching that unfold in our generation in this period in the United States. Hmm. And it's new for us. It's where European countries have been for the last couple decades. 
now well, we're there. Well, it sort of affirms the old saying that people change when the pain associated with the status quo is greater than the pain associated with change. You have all this forced on change. Okay, we got to go online. Oh my goodness, the country's melting down. We have an election year. These people are leaving. These people are coming. They're political. And then exhaustion, you're right. That's a really good understanding. I talked to so many pastors who took one to three months off and now they feel like they're coming back. And it's interesting, you know, you work with churches of all size, sizes. One of the one of the things I'm seeing, and the data is starting to bear this out, is that some churches actually are back. Now, these tend to be larger growing churches, and they've gone way beyond where they were in 2019. In other words, now that could be market consolidation. Yes. Some of the people who left the small and mid-sized mm-hmm. churches that were just kind of middling along and kind of lost their way and didn't have a strong compass yes. or a strong sense of mission, um, they've gone to some of the bigger thriving churches. Like I know where I serve and where I'm the founding pastor, uh, our biggest question is space. It's just like, how do we how do we fit everybody in? And that's starting to resonate maybe with five to 10% of churches, but I want to focus not on those. We talk enough about them on this podcast, but the smaller churches are really struggling now. And you're right. The leaders may be too exhausted to do something about it, or, or it's just we don't have a pressing crisis other than the slow leak that we see in the rapid slash yes. still sort of slow cultural change that's happening before our eyes, but we don't know what to do about it. Is that accurate? It is accurate. And I think what breaks my heart a little yeah. bit inside of all of this is, I think, you know, as Tom Rayner talks yeah. about that, what COVID manifested was we just jumped ahead three or four years in terms of churches. Like the trend lines were on this path and we jumped ahead. And I think what has caught my attention, and I don't even know how to respond to, is how quickly we have adjusted to that new norm, even though we jumped ahead. That's just the way it is. Yep. It's just, just the way, the way it, is. it is. And it did not, it has not manifested urgency anymore. Mm. It's just where we are now. And again, I think that's an element of maybe exhaustion, an element of not knowing what to do. And it's also brought back all the original tensions. Um, But there's also a a little deeper piece to this, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And that is when I lose people, especially in a small to mid-sized church, that has real implications, right? It has financial implications, it has volunteerism implications. And when I lose some people, what do I want to make sure doesn't happen? Lose more. I can't lose more. And so... You know, pre-COVID, one of the greatest struggles for a smaller mid-sized church is, is people's preferences, mm-hmm. right? If I'm in a smaller mid-sized church, I need you to cater to my preferences. There's things that I want. And that's that makes senior pastors cringe, of course, right? It was preferences of music style and preferences of facility design and preferences of culture ideologies and disciple method, you know, discipleship methodologies and such. And I would say that's heightened now. Mm. And it's heightened because I don't want to lose more. I can't do that. And so now preferences have really become more of a problem than they were before. And it's paralyzing for leadership teams, right? That I want to keep what I have. And so I guess that's definitely manifesting in the way you said it. Um, it's difficult. Mm. It's difficult. Bringing me back a long yeah. way in my ministry to where it all started. Yep, I'm familiar with all of those dynamics, really small traditional churches. Um, before we do a deep dive, I want to ask you what old answers or approaches are working and what is not working? Because it seems, I think there's a model crisis like the attractional church 
is only working in some spheres now in the small sliver that actually are growing, some form of attractional, and even that's changed. You look at a church in 2017 and a church today, they're probably not doing as much hype. They're probably a little more worship-focused. It's a little more low-key. There's not as much of a celebrity culture as there was even seven years ago, et cetera, et cetera. However, however, you know, that that hasn't really given way to a new model. And I think most of the churches, which is 85, 90% of all American churches, are, as you say, going back to the way it was in 2019. Um, so which in, you know, that familiar uh, quiver of tools, <laughs> which tools are still working and which ones are not? Yeah, I think the most important one is this. And if I, I'll give you context yeah. first. Um, the first question for a small to mid-sized church is, is this. Do we have a desire to have non-believers inside our church? Whoa. Okay, that sounds like a really obvious answer, right? And I will say, I don't believe that's as simple as it sounds. And, and I'll give you an example of why, and that, then I'll get to the heart of your question. If we agree that we are losing culture to faith, right? We're losing Christianity in the U.S., Canada, et cetera. We're losing, right? The trend lines show that. The more that we lose culture, the more my sanctuary becomes my literal sanctuary. This is where, you know, on Sunday, I get to gather with people who share my ideologies, who share my theology, who are my friends, my family. And for a moment, I get to escape culture. This is my safe space. And the more that we lose culture, okay, the can more I interrupt? it becomes my sanctuary. I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt, but you are taking yeah. me back to a conversation I had when I was in seminary of a plateaued mainline church. This goes back to 1991. So like long before most of the audience was born. Okay. I'm there. I had this exact conversation with the pastor. I'm the upstart student. I'm like, let's bring some change. And he's like, We can't, and the reason we can't, this is Canada in the 1990s. Culture is changing so quickly. This is a refuge from culture. I don't know if that church is still open, but I can promise you it hasn't grown in 30 years. Wow. Correct. And so that's what we're saying, right? It becomes a sanctuary. And and on one level, that's that's okay. I understand wanting to see my friends, and I, I understand all of that. But the problem is, that's a flywheel. The more we lose culture the more my sanctuary is my sanctuary. And the more my sanctuary is my sanctuary, the truth is I don't want culture inside of it <laughs> because it, it ruins my sanctuary. And so, and again, I in my heart, I absolutely know church leaders do not agree with that. I know they don't want that. What I am saying is a lot of congregations do. Yeah, but we're good with cognitive dissonance, right? We yeah. can say, right. oh, I don't believe that, I don't want it, and then we can go live another reality. Daryl, I'm incredibly healthy. You have no idea how healthy I am, uh, but watch me hit the fridge or hit a drive-thru. And, you know, it's like, wait a minute. minute. What I tell myself and what I do, sometimes they don't line up, you know? Like, okay, that's really interesting. Anything more to say on that? Because I think you've got a massive issue. Okay, here's part two of that. So do I want non-believers in our church, right? And if the answer is yes, of course. Are we expecting any? And that's different. In other words, we can say that we desire that, but if we don't actually believe, in other words, if we've given up, that we have, it's been so long since we've seen non-believers in our church that we're no longer expecting them, then we don't behave like it. 
And so to get to the heart of your question is very simply this. What's still working? Hospitality. Hospitality, hospitality. And it, hospitality forgives so many sins of mm. a church, right? In other words, do I genuinely welcome guests? Am I prepared for guests? Um, do I expect them? And I, I don't have real data for this. This is anecdotal. <laughs> I have set foot in hundreds of worship services of hundreds of different churches. And just in my head, I've kept track anecdotally. Less than 25% of churches I ever set a foot in does one person talk to me. Oh. Now, now here's the key. Um, every church will tell me I'm wrong about their church. Oh, you wait until Sunday and you come to our church. I'll be like, okay, I hope so. And it will be the same result. And what I say to that is I'm not surprised anymore. And I also understand the problem. The problem is when I come to church on Sunday, including me, who do I want to talk to? I want to talk to my friends. I haven't seen them in a week or two mm -hmm. weeks. And it doesn't even occur to me to go talk to guests, right? It's not on my radar. So what fixes that? Intentional hospitality. Actual people with the role of welcoming and talking to. Um, it's such an easy fix. But if we've lost our way in even believing we will have guests, we won't do it very well. And the second thing, we have to explain what we're doing. Like that's everything from signage to explaining things from the stage. What is this element? Why do we take an offering? What is communion? What's this worship song mean? Um, that expectation that we're going to explain, which, which tells me as a guest, I belong here, right? So at its most simplistic level, it's that. I mean, we can talk about music styles and we can talk about buildings and all of that, but it has to start with hospitality. And every church is capable of this. I use the, what I tell leadership teams is as Christ followers, shouldn't we be the best at mm -hmm. this? We should be the best at hospitality. And we're not. We're great at hospitality to each other. And I think it just goes back to, do we expect guests? Do we even want guests, right, um, is the problem. Well, I want to make sure I let you be the guest, but you're taking me back <laughs> to my formative years in ministry. And I hadn't thought about this in ages. There is a church about a half hour from where I am. Uh, they were looking for a pastor. My wife and I decided that we would try. I preached, went down into the church basement, little church of 30 people. I remember this, this circle of people standing there. And I'm like, I'm the candidate. We had our young son. My wife was there. And we waited on the outside of the circle. Nobody acknowledged us. Nobody talked to us. And I'm like, I'm the candidate. Like, pick my brain. And we finally just gave up, went back to our car. And I called the guy in charge. And I'm like, I'm withdrawing my name. No way I'm going to that church. Forget it. Now, they got another pastor. He did amazing things with that church. That's how I ended up in Oro, where I started, where I still am. But like, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, what I draw from that, and then also what I had to help our churches see is you think you're a friendly church, but what you mean is you're friendly to each other. And, you know, and they'll be like, well, we don't want the church to get bigger because there's 30 people and we know everybody. And I'm like, okay, who's that person in the back row in the corner? Well, I don't know who that person is. They're not one of my friends. I'm like, see, you don't know everybody. So I had to, I was a bit of a rebel rouser. I just like, I'm an Enneagram 8, so I just kind of went there with our church, and I'm like, we're not a friendly church, guys. Like, come on. Don't, who are you kidding? Like, we're not friendly. You're not, you're not nice to people when they come in, and I don't know that you want unchurched people. So what is the key if, if people are reading their mail? Because I think that's the majority of churches across America, across Canada, across Europe, Australia. I know the Western world. I don't know the rest of the world, but that's a lot of small churches. 
what do you do? You just shrug and give up and you're basically the chaplain who holds the hand of the church when it dies, like, or, or until the next person comes along. Like, what do you do? To instill that yeah, revitalization. Yeah. Or to even, even, even to be ready for unchurched people. So that, that takes me back to a more core principle, okay. I think. And before we can get to hospitality, I have to change the hearts of the people mm-hmm. in the church. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, there's such a simple answer to that, and it's also so complicated. Um, and I'll start at this. You know, when Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptize, and teach, you know, he wasn't talking to the entity of the church. He was talking to right. me. He was talking to right. you. He was talking to each of us. What if that was serious? What if going and making disciples was serious? And I think where this has got tangled up is that none of us like the concept or even the word evangelism. And it's just simply because it's been hijacked by different entities over time. And evangelism came to mean televangelists, or it came to mean going door to door or things like that, that we all despised. And so there's this baggage with that word, right? And I begin to think with with smaller mid-sized churches go, what if we could redefine that word? And what if we could make it so simple that it's hard to not want to do it, that there's something we can hang on to? And so for us, um, what we have found the key is, again, simple and complex. This is not my original thinking. I want to say that up front. We have taken this from something else. There's other organizations that use the same language to some extent. But the idea is simply this. And what I will challenge church leaders to is, do you have at least one person in your life that you simply grieve over? They do not follow Christ. And it's you know, they're not my spiritual project. They are my friend or they are my family member. But it's not just, oh, I hope someday they know Jesus. It is literally a grieving process. I love this person so much. I care so much about this person and they don't know. And I recognize the implications of that both today and for eternity. And do I have that? And so in that process, as we unpack that concept for church leaders, and I always start with church leaders, and I say that because I cannot call the congregation into mission if leaders Mm. won't do it first. And so for leaders to say, do you have at least one? And what we have found in the way that we define that is typically it's less than half of church leaders have even one. And I'm not faulting that. I am saying I don't think we've given it clear definition and clear language. And so in unpacking that with the leaders, I'll say a few things. One will be under no circumstance is this person your spiritual Mm. project. You turn this into a project, please do not do it at all. And so then I will use a sentence that some leaders struggle with until I really define it to say, the purpose of having that one, that one relationship, the purpose of that relationship is ultimately not just to lead them to Christ. The purpose of the relationship is the relationship Mm. with them. Hmm. They are the focus. They are the reason. It's because I care about them. And the reason I can authentically say that is if I make it about the relationship first, and I develop this relationship with this person that I care about, then that relationship becomes authentic. And in an authentic relationship over months and years, it's only a matter of time. And so they're going to ask questions about my faith because we're in relationship. And when they ask questions, now the dynamic changes. Now we can have real conversations about faith and I can talk about Jesus and my faith, right? But until then, it's just about them because I care about them. And in doing that, I use the language like this to say, Do you have at least one person in your life who does not walk with Jesus today, who lives local to where you live, and 
you rearrange your life to spend time with them. Mm. I go to their kids or grandkids sporting events just to sit with them. I have their family over for dinner. We go hang out for a cup of coffee for no other reason than the relationship. And what's fascinating about that is that first we label that as evangelism, but the truth is that starts as discipleship of me, not mm. them. I'm the one growing in that relationship because I am maybe for the first time in my life actually living out the mission Jesus said. I'm no longer using plural language. I use this language, right? We use plural language a lot with our mission. We say this, we are going to reach our neighbors. We are going to reach our city. And those words sound great. The problem is it releases all of us from doing anything. But when I have one, right, this person that breaks my heart, this person that I care about, whether that's a coworker or a friend or a neighbor, that's discipleship of me first. Mm. God is breaking me for someone, and it's the Holy Spirit working through me. And over time, that will become evangelism as they ask questions. But now back to the heart of your question. That is the thing that transforms leadership teams first. Because once I start to have my heart broken for someone for the first time, maybe, how I lead will start to change. Because here's what happens. My personal preferences in my church don't matter that much mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. Because now what I'm recognizing is what's going to happen that day that that one person in my life walks through these doors. Are we ready? This is no longer just a random guest. It's yeah. my guest. And it's fun to sit with leadership teams and say, have you ever had a non-believer walk through your church doors with you? And what was it like for you? Right. And they laugh, right? Because suddenly everything is heightened, right? Oh my gosh, no one greeted them. And this message didn't make any sense. And that audio was terrible. I mean, we notice everything all of a sudden. Why? Because it was personal. And so for me and, and our work with churches, it has to start in that the partnership starts with that. Do you have at least one person? That's the starting point. Um, and I think, Carrie, we as Christ followers yeah. avoid that for one reason. Um, and that reason is we don't want to grieve. When I use plural language, like I'm going to reach my neighbors, the truth is it doesn't change my life. It doesn't impact me because I don't know my neighbors. I don't know their heartaches. I don't know their hurts. I don't know their joys. I don't know them. It doesn't change anything. But then when I have one person or five people in my life, who I deeply care about and I have invested relationally in uh, um, on this mission. Now it's a real thing. And there is a very, I'm living mm. this right now. There's a very slow realization. They might never come to Christ and I can't yeah. fix that. I'm familiar with that. Yep. And, um, the truth is it makes me want to go back in my Christian mm. bubble. I'll do my thing. You do your thing. I want to go black. I want to go back to plural language because mm. um, this hurts too mm. much. And yet it's exactly what Jesus called us to. And the truth is people rejected Jesus too, which is crazy when you think about it, but they did. And so I think we try to avoid this because we know where it leads. You know, some people in my life will come to Christ and some won't. And yet I don't know which ones. And that's what we're called to. And it absolutely changes how we lead a church.
So I had a very similar question, and this is what we talked about in Chicago, that I asked our leaders, our elders, our attenders, that I think was critical. And I'm not going to give the question because I think yours is better. So (laughs) I'd like you to repeat it. And then I want to talk about what happens when that question gets taken seriously. So can you state the question, like if you're coming in to consult with my church, got 50 people, we've had 50 people for 50 years. It's kind of like, well, this isn't going anywhere. What's the question you ask us? I'm going to start with some scriptures first. And I'm going to start with Luke 15, and I'm going to say, um, they went after the lost sheep, right? That whole story. There is a key word in that story. It's such a small, nebulous word, but I think it's important, and that word is the word until. It said he searched until he found it. And then it goes on, and I think we miss the joy that we see next. He carried it on his shoulders. Think about the imagery of that. And then called friends and neighbors and said, come celebrate with me. And, I, and so I start in that to go, as church leaders, um, is it until for us? Until we reach one more? Right? Or is it when it's convenient or up until it hits my preferences or up until it hurts? Right? And so back to your question, for me, this has been my question, and it's just for me, is I went decades as a Christ follower before I grieved someone. That in my heart, I think, I cannot imagine that these individuals in my life don't know Jesus, and, and they don't care. And it hurts because I can play this out and realize they're not going to be with me in eternity, number one. And number two, I know what they're missing yeah. out on today. Yeah. And I grieve that. And so I start there with the Luke 15 passage. And then I think the key, though, Carrie, to your question is it has to start in mm-hmm. storytelling. It has to start in storytelling because when we use generic language like my neighbors or my friends, or my family, our city, it doesn't hit home. And so I will start with my own personal story. That makes it sound like mm. I know what I'm doing. I don't. Um, in fact, I'm not very successful mm. at it right now. Um, but I grieve. And um, I start with the story. And then I transition that to go, okay, who else in the room? And it will not be everyone. But it's always a couple of leaders. And you will see the tears come. Because maybe for the first time, they even have a language of what to call what they've been doing. They have that person and it just, the weight hits them of like, yeah, I have that too. And I've been ignoring those feelings. And once we can get through some stories and say, isn't this what we want for our church? Isn't it about until, is it one more person? But it's not just a random person, it's ours. And so I really try to bring them to a fork in the road, if you will, just simply to say, are you as a Christ follower and as a leader of a church, Are you willing to invest in one? And pray to God to reveal who that might be. Again, not as your project, but for your own discipleship and for your own leadership, right? And I'll give you a a quick example of this. This is where I've I've just never forgotten this one. Um, I was with a church one time, and um, Mm -hmm. I won't say who, of course, but um, I had an elder in the room, and she looked at me and she said, I'm going to be very blunt with you. I'm never going to have a one. 
And she said, the truth is I like my Christian bubble. I don't want grieving. And this is where I'm going to stay until I die. And I looked at her and I smiled and I said to her, I said, you know what I love about that statement? And she really believed I was mocking her and I wasn't. And she goes, what? And I said, I love that you're honest. Thanks for being honest. And it was two months later. I was back at that church. I remember exactly where I was in the hallway. And she walked up to me and she literally said to me, I don't like you very much. And I laughed. I said, I know. And she said, well, I got me one of those ones. And I just laughed. I'm like, what? And the short version of the story was it was a next door neighbor who was in her 80s, a widower. And she saw the lady walking out to her mailbox by herself. And she said, God just convicted me and said, it's her. Go spend time with her. And she said, so I've started spending time with her. I go over and I sit with her and we drink coffee and we talk and she does not know Jesus and she doesn't care. And a month later, that lady died. And that elder came back to me and she said, I'm never doing that again. I'm never doing that again. And I cried with her and I said, I know. I know. Wow. And um, I think she will. I think she will. She'll do it again. She'll do it again, right? There is a grieving period and she will. But I thought the way that has changed her and her relationship with Christ and and how she would lead her church, Hmm. because it's finally real. Yeah. It's real. We're not messing around with just plural language, right? Like these are real people. And it changes how we see our church. And that has to start with leaders. Again, I can't go call the congregation to do what leaders won't do. And I get asked, Carrie, so many times to to meet with congregations, like spell that out for our congregation. And I always say, no, no, this has to come from you. You are the leaders of this church for this time. You are the anointed leaders by God for this church at this time. You have to lead and you have to share the stories. It starts with you. And um, that's the transformational thing. That is the thing. And it is so simple on one hand. It is so complicated on the other. And I'm under no illusion carry ever. Um, It's never going to be every leader. Ever. Um, My goal with a leadership team, if I can get four or five people in the leadership team to take that seriously, they will transform the church. That's it? Four or five? Absolutely. Four or five. And it's just the concept, right, of, you know, Malcolm Gladwell has the tipping point concept. And it's the same concept. It takes a few leaders who that literally Mm. breaks their heart Mm. for the first time. And what happens? They will go influence a couple more people and a couple more people. And very slowly, that'll change a church. And in the end, it changes how we lead. It changes. And then it does change things like hospitality. And we do start to welcome guests. And we want guests because now we recognize it. Because as a leadership team, once I have a one or a f- or five in my life, I'm also now concerned about your ones mm-hmm. and your fives. They're just as important as mine because we're doing this together as ministry leaders. Does the senior pastor or minister or whatever it is in whatever context, does the senior leader have to be one of the three or four who gets it? Or what happens if the senior pastor doesn't? Yeah, um, I've only had a couple of circumstances in 10 years where that was not the case. 
I've had a couple of instances. Thank goodness. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Where the senior pastor was not. Okay, good. So most of us in a moment like that, remember our calling, remember why we got into this. We know what it's about. And it was that wake up call to like, yeah, I'm in. Yeah. And I, and, and to further that a little bit, here's been my experience. Um, lead pastors wouldn't get into ministry. There's way easier <laughs> jobs. If I didn't start with a flame, yeah. right? A flame yeah. of missional passion of evangelism. I want to, I want to live out the great commission. I want to reach people and I want to disciple people. That's what I want to do. Why else would I go into being a pastor? But then for many pastors, especially in small and mid-sized churches, that flame just slowly yeah. gets diminished. It gets diminished through people's preferences. It gets diminished through conflict in boards. It gets just diminished over time where it, I settle in. I hate to say that, but I might just settle into the role. And I think here's the key thing that I, I love saying this to lead pastors to remind them of something. Your role is so difficult because virtually no one in your congregation is asking you to grow right. your church. No one is asking you to lead us in a mission because they're mission asking you is to keep hard. it the same. And mm -hmm. no they're mm -hmm. actually asking you to keep it the same. And so what happens is slowly that flame gets quenched. And for me, primarily how I see my role with churches, I just want to be the advocate. I want to walk in with a tank full of fuel and pour a little fuel on that fire because that ember is still there. That ember of mission still exists in the lead pastor. And it always still exists, at least in a few board members. But it's just, it might just be an ember. That might be all that's left. It's just a little spark, right? And they go, what if we pour some fuel on that? And what if we get that back to a flicker, right? And what if we start to do that? And to see um, that as being an advocate for where their original first love. And to go, no, this is still possible. But you, here's the key. You can't do it by yourself. You're going to need some allies beside you. And I go back to my statement when I said, like, you know, the goal is never to transform all the leaders. The goal is to transform a few and to say, recognize in the room who those are. Who are those three, four, five, six leaders around you that that fuel has taken off and that flame is back? And they have become your allies. They have become the people you're going to invest in. We're going to go do this together and we're going to we're going to fuel more people. Um, but back to the heart of your question. Um, there have been a couple instances where that's the case. And one of well, thank goodness, only a couple. Yeah, go ahead. And one of two things happens. Um, one, it'll be others around them that bring that fire back. And I've watched that happen. Um, it is remarkable. It is, um, it's an overwhelming honor to watch that happen, right? To see that happen over time, that there are board members who do that for them. Um, or um, they will eventually opt out of ministry. And that's uh, heartbreaking. And um, my hope in that and my prayer in that is always the same, that um, I hope that's a break and not long-term, that that, that fire yeah. will come back, right? Because it was there. There was no question it was there. And the Holy Spirit will rekindle that through that break. So one of the challenges a lot of pastors have, I don't really want to go a lot broader than this because I think it's such a important question. I want to spend the rest of our time on that question. So let's talk about barriers to rekindling that. So you're right. You've already talked about the bubble effect and the pressure to keep things the same. And obviously, you know, when you give a talk like that, 
I was moved. I'm sure listeners were moved. We all have someone we're thinking about already. But one of the challenges, as my friend Reggie Joyner said years ago to me, he said, you know, unchurched people will never call you and ask you to be friends. Church people will call you and ask you for your time. And I think one of the occupational hazards of ministry, and this is true for church staff, it's true for pastors, could also be true for board members. Although if you've got a career out in the marketplace, it gets a lot easier. But you're just surrounded by Christians. Christians demand your time. And often that means saying no to people on the inside. So you can say yes to somebody on the outside in terms of your personal time Etc. So, what would you say to the leader who's like totally agree with the idea? You move my heart. It's warm again. But like, here's the reality. I'm just. I have so many demands from insiders. I don't feel like I have the bandwidth to build an authentic, real, non-project relationship, friendship with someone on the outside who doesn't know yeah. Jesus. What do, you, what do you say to that? Yeah, so that's the key where this rekindling or that concept happens with a board or with an elder board as well as the pastor. And to be able to authentically say, if that is genuinely true, that I'm overwhelmed with the current role and I don't know how to do that going forward, I need actual permission from the board to say, I'm going to sacrifice some time for this. And I don't mean I need their permission because they're over me or that's an HR-related thing. I mean I'm going to do this, and I yeah. need you to back me up in this. I need to know that you're with me in this. And then it becomes a matter of, you know, if I don't have this person, I always give, you know, what's next steps? I don't have a one. I hear you, okay? One, pray. And as on some level, yeah. that sounds so trite, right? But here's my—I say this to leaders. I guarantee God's going to answer that prayer. And his timing, mm-hmm. but he's going to answer it like the revealing of who that is. And that person's never a stranger. They're never a stranger. God has already done his work. There's people in my life. I just haven't recognized it yet. But number two, I have to intentionally put myself in situations right. where I'm in culture. And so, you know, I, I had an elder one time ask me, like, I don't know what to do next. My entire mm-hmm. life is a Christian bubble. And I just simply asked him, what do you love to do? Like, what's your hobby? And he told me what it was. And I said, who do you do that with? And of course, it was Christians. And I go, okay, mm. it's time. It's time to do that in culture. And he laughed and he goes, and, and he meant it seriously. And he said, so I'll find my one when I do that? And I go, no, 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 I'm saying you are taking a faithful step in that journey with God going, okay, God, I'm going to take a step into that journey and I'm trusting you're going to reveal that in your time, right? And for a pastor, it's the same way to be able to work with a board as a board and say, I'm going to need some time to do this. And let's be honest, that's an hour or two a week, maybe, right? It's not that much time. But to say, I need to make this a priority for our sake. And if I've been through that journey with my board already, of course they're going to go, yes, go do that. And and so will we, right? And so one of the things I talk about in that concept of a one and, and being broken like that, we have to do it together. So that starts at a board level. That starts at a staff level. We do it together. If we don't do it together, we won't do it at all. That's just the truth. And so I even give them homework to say, if you have a staff, um, and certainly if you have a board, you commit that once a month, no matter what, you go around the circle and you update each other on your own personal ones. And you're going to be authentic about it. You know, we had coffee this week. It was great. Like we hung out. It was great. Or I didn't talk to my one this month. That's okay. We're not going to shame you. But we're going to do that together. And it becomes a priority, right? And so in that, you're getting permission. 
you're saying, yes, we're giving this a focus. We're giving time to this and being honest about that. And I think it's, that's the purpose of doing one of the purposes of doing it together is that, that we are in alignment on that's one of our, um, one of the things we're going to lead into now as we live out our own personal faith. So how does that start to percolate out? You've started, you've got the lead pastor on board, you got three or four others on board on the staff or on the board itself. How does that begin to percolate out into revitalization for the rest of the congregation? Yes. So it starts to percolate out through um, Sunday school mm-hmm. classes or small groups and ministry okay. teams. So in the same way that I would say to a church board, I want you once a month to update each other. Imagine doing that exact same thing in your small group or in your Sunday school class or your ministry team, right? Um, the worship team gathers on Sunday morning, an hour before service to have a rehearsal. What if we took five minutes and said, you know, how's Becky? How's it going? How's Sam? And we give just quick little updates to be reminded if even before we take the stage, for instance, this is what we're about. This is what we do. And so it organically has to spread through teams and groups. Um, and I, you know, this cannot turn into a program. Because mm-hmm. right away, we've made it a project again. We do this because we want to share with each other, right? And the language I start to put around that is we celebrate together and we grieve together. And it changes who we are, right? Um, I have figured out something, Carrie, and um, I have some very specific ones in my life. Um, a lot of churches know about them. Um, and what I've realized over time, it took me a long time to get here, but to realize something that one of those ones is now for me personally, top five most spiritually influential person in my life ever. And I've actually figured out who they are. And that person is number five. And this is a absolute atheist that I love so much as a person. And that person has transformed my faith. As an atheist. It has made it real. It has made it real. Really? So that person hasn't changed their opinion but None. they have refined your belief. They've refined it because I realized, I hate to say this, but the Holy Spirit is finally alive in my mission. The Holy Spirit is finally working through me. I can read those passages now and realize I'm doing what Jesus commanded. <laughs> I'm not very good at it, doing it. Um, and then things like this, when, when that person questions something in my faith, what happens? Prayer and getting back into scripture, except now in a new way. What? Why do I believe that? Where did that come from? Like, do I believe that? That thing that that person questioned? It's no longer theory. It's real. And so it gets me back into scripture. It gets me into prayer. Um, but it's the activation of me in the mission God oh. had called me to originally. And to recognize, and what breaks my heart for me personally is to realize I went decades with that not being real. And I look back on that with so much regret. And that regret's not from Jesus. That's not how this works. It mm-hmm. is self-regret, right? Um, but it's real. Like I look back on that with disappointment and go, not again. I'm not going to do that again. And so the same goes for Sunday school classes and small groups and ministry teams to go, imagine us coming alive in that together. Imagine the impact that would have on our church and how we lead. But more importantly, um, our own personal walk with Christ. And, you know, I say now, like, uh, my team gets an amazing honor. We get the emails and the text messages from churches all over the country when someone's one is baptized. And 
you know, and they always say something the same thing. I didn't know how big a celebration of baptism was until mm. it was my own person. And that recognition of God chose to work through me, didn't need me whatsoever, and and did it anyway. That I got to be a part of that. And and you have that happen and you'll sign up for five more. I mean, you know, now I'm on mission, right? Um, that's the impact, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny, and you know, just, uh, we went through a, a similar process, different questions, similar process. And when that really catches a congregation, I used to love getting the texts and the DMs and the emails. Uh, when someone's one was coming, it's like, this better be good on Sunday. Like, don't mess it up. Or what's the music? Or who's preaching? Or like all of their senses are heightened. Their sensitivities are heightened. It's like, I got one shot here, which of course is not true, but I know they feel like it's all riding on that one Sunday. I used to love getting those messages and you just, it's such a thrill to preach when I don't know when the last time was that there was a single Sunday where somebody didn't have their one on their arm and even going into it again this weekend. It's so fun. Absolutely. And in that there's language I like to adjust with churches to say, we talk all the time about first-time guests. That's language yeah. we use, right? First-time guests. Yeah. The truth is getting a first-time guest is simple. Just keep asking them. That's not the issue. The question is, how do we get the second-time guest? Mm. That's the key, right? Yeah. And when we start to recognize what that takes, and now things like hospitality, intentionality, music styles, and buildings, and refreshing of buildings, and all of that comes into play because it's the second time I want them to re-engage. And because it's personal now, right? It's real people that we know. It's not just random guests. And so that focusing on second-time guests becomes really critical. And it makes you think in a different filter as a leader, right? What would it take to get the second time? So before you wrap up, a couple of quick checks on just to make sure. Because there are other changes that need to happen in the church to really do a good, sustained job of outreach, evangelism, reaching their community, all of that stuff. But it seems to me from your experience, Daryl, and this is why I wanted to have the conversation, is that a lot of churches put the cart before the horse. So if the horse, so to speak, is the question, the really personal question about who is the one in your life that you grieve over, that you are just investing in, in terms of their relationship— Maybe they'll come to faith, maybe they won't, but do you have that one? That is the horse, the cart. Yes, maybe the music needs to change. Yes, maybe we need better AVL in the auditorium. Yes, maybe we need a building expansion project. Yes, maybe we need to restructure our teams. Yes, we maybe need more volunteers. But all of that flows out of a renewed mission. Is that what I hear you saying? Absolutely. And, you know, the, the reason we and churches, when we fight over things like music styles or building changes or yeah. is this necessary or why do we need signage or when we fight over those things, when we have tension over those things, it's because we don't have the, the horse. We don't have the parameter of why this matters. Right. Right. So we're just focusing on the change. And in most simplistic language is this. We don't talk about the why. And so we can choose to have disagreements or maybe this isn't my personal preference. But that conversation changes when there's an actual why, right? So if if our goal is to let's say grow younger, right? Um, like for instance, I'm you know the the median age in the United States is about 34 years old right now, and the median age in churches around 55 to 60. Yeesh. And so this desire to grow younger, as an example, um, well then when we make changes that maybe are not my preference, 
there's at least a why to the change. But until that why is personal people and not theory of people, then I have a hard time with that why. Hmm. And so, correct, that this, it starts with the horse, as you, the analogy you used, right? It starts with that horse to go, there are real people that we care about. There's people that we grieve over. There are people that are personal to us. And this is why we are going to make changes. They are the why. And again, I may not like the change so much, but at least I know for my leadership, there's a why to that. And you're absolutely right. I started with hospitality, but yes, music style matters and the facility matters. And, you know, a great example, kids spaces matter a lot. Um, I want to know that young mom walks in and says, yes, my child can be in this space. It is safe. It is secure. It looks welcoming. These people look normal. Like they look like someone I dropped my kid off because the truth is our culture knows all the stories. The unchurched know all the abuse stories, all the scandal stories. They don't know the good news. Absolutely. And so kids spaces and, and buildings and does it smell weird and, and all those things, they do matter that second time guest and they matter because I'm Well, you're someone. helping to put a puzzle together too, because there are probably a lot of leader or at least a few leaders listening who are saying, we've updated the nursery. It doesn't smell weird. Everyone's background checked. Uh, we got the new band. We changed the AVL. We repainted the auditorium. We got rid of the pews. We put in chairs. Still not really doing it because it's missing the heart, missing the engine. Well, and right, let's be honest. You you can go make all those changes and no one in your neighborhood or in your city. They don't care. care. I agree. They're not looking. They're not looking for your church. It's not when, even on their When you radar, really see, right? yeah, go ahead. Here's what culture here's what culture's looking for. Relationships. I want to be known and I want to be loved. And as Christ followers, we should be the best at this. Right? We should be the best at this. And so you can make all the changes in the world. And what you will get, Carrie, you can make all those changes and you will absolutely get transfer growth. Right. And that will and that will feel successful. Right. And you know, one of the things I always look at with churches is to go, hey, we can talk about your attendance. I want to talk about mm. salvations. And how does that compare? Right. Well, we're seeing five percent growth each year. Great. How is salvations? How are baptisms? Well, we're not really having any. Okay. That's mm -hmm. transfer growth. That's that's okay, I guess, right? But that's what manifested out of those changes you made because we haven't engaged in the culture yet. And we have to engage with real people and care about them as human beings, not for a project, because I care well, about them. And is it still true? Like I think back to the early days of our ministry, and we didn't get everything right. I'm not, I'm not claiming we get everything right, but we did see a lot of growth around that principle that we've been talking about. And we didn't have a new building. It still smelled kind of weird. We were really careful with kidsmen and everything like that. But we ran out of space. And that's because people started coming and they started bringing their friends and they started praying over and we saw life change. And I imagine you also get all of the stories of churches where that's happening in little buildings, remote towns, weird places. Absolutely. Meanwhile, you know, the suburban church yes. that just did the million dollar refresh is going, can't get anybody in here. Uh, are you seeing that? And I'm not Absolutely. saying like we eventually changed everything. Yeah. We eventually changed the music to where, but it was like, it took us years. And because we didn't have any money. We had people, Absolutely. but we had no money, right? That's right. That's right. Absolutely, we see that. And so there's lots of churches that don't have any money, right? What they have is relationships. And I will put so much emphasis on, you know, there's that personal relationship with my non-believing friend, right? And hospitality doesn't cost us much. 
we can be friendly, we can be welcoming. And I think about there's a direct correlation between the size of the church and how impactful hospitality will be. And what I mean by that, if I walk into a mega church, I don't actually really expect anyone to notice me. If I walk into a church of 75 and no one notices me, I'm never coming back, right? I'm just not because there was an expectation. Now imagine that I'm in that church of 75 and literally someone that comes up and introduces themselves and welcomes me, right? But imagine this. What if they invited me to lunch? And here's the key to that. It doesn't even matter if I said yes or no. I will not forget that they asked. And that doesn't cost us anything. And right? We just are friendly. We are Christ followers that are friendly and we welcome people. And yes, as I said, you know, earlier, hospitality forgives a lot of sins. It forgives the bad pews and the music that's not so fantastic and the weird smell, you know, for a it while does. it forgives that. Right. And, and you can figure that all out on the lot, back end. Like, you know, that'll, that'll come. Absolutely. And as we grow, then of course we're going to fix things because we want right. to steward God's church. Right. We want to do that. And we'll make those changes over time. And that's okay. This isn't easy to do, but it is simple to understand. And, you know, I'm thinking about the Church of 75. I remember our our days at 75 people. And, you know, if it was happening today, you would be like, well, we introduced a QR code and that way it makes it easy. I don't think a Church of 75 needs a QR code. I mean, if you have one, don't undo it. But that's not the point. You can add that when there's a crowd and you don't know who's who and it's hard to get connected. But he got 75 people turn around and don't, not during the greet your neighbor time, but after yes. just go actually have a genuine conversation. We did. Did you ever see churches do this? We did a challenge for years. If we found ourselves getting complacent where we're like, and we would announce this from the front if we were in a rapid growth season. All right. Or we would at least tell our volunteers, I believe we announced this from the front at times. It's like, hey, today for the first five minutes after service, you have to talk to two people you mm. don't know. Go. Mm. And we would do things like that. Now, that wasn't when there were 75 people. That's when there were a lot more than Absolutely. that. Yeah. But that whole idea of welcoming the outsider, bringing the outsider, Absolutely. et cetera, et And cetera, I, right? I have mixed emotions about the meet and greet time I for introverts. It's a nightmare, oh, right? It's, I'll tell you. I mean, I'm like, that, who, the person who invented that, that's very low emotional intelligence, Correct. I believe. But it's just awkward. That's different than saying, we're going to be intentional after the service just to go say hello. Exactly. And do that naturally. And here's what's interesting. Um, that can actually become an actual volunteer role that we actually have a few people whose their role is to seek out um, guests to say hello, yeah. right? And and here's the key for guests especially. Guests are obvious. They're mm-hmm. the only ones that like read signs and they're the only ones not talking to other people. And when you watch for them, you'll see them and just go say hello and see if they have any questions and ask about their family and make it simple. Um, guests won't forget that. They just won't. No, you know, it's funny. And you can do that in a small church. We didn't when our churches were small, but as we got bigger, we found our most emotionally intelligent, socially intelligent people. And we said, you go find the people who aren't having conversations and they've done a great job and just invite them, bring them over, you know, give them a free gift, whatever that happens to be as things got bigger. Okay. Anything on this subject that we haven't touched on that we should touch on before we wrap up? Yeah, I think like... So what's the next step for a pastor who is hearing this, right? 
yeah. and going, yeah, I want all those things, but you don't know my board. You don't know my congregation. <laughs> yeah. And, um, that next step is number one, um, either find another pastor who's a year or two ahead of you in this process, right. And, and get some advice and get some wisdom in that. But also I will say again, I promise there's people in the congregation, there's people on your board that actually share this passion and just start talking about it with them. And as I said, the idea of having allies around you to say, I'm not alone in this. And, and what does it look like to even have a conversation with a couple of board members to go, what if we took this more seriously? You know, what if we took a next step? What would that look like? Um, and start to build that around you and stop. There's such a focus on, well, how do I get the congregation to change? That's not the question. And that's not the next step. It yeah. starts with a handful of leaders. It always starts. And you'll become contagious. You will become contagious. Right? Absolutely. If you do this, you'll take see those it. Take those simple steps. Um, remember that hospitality matters a lot, right? But mm -hmm. all that funnels back to, do I have at least one person? Do I have one person I'm investing in that doesn't know Jesus because I like them? And am I growing in that? It's such a simple step. It'll be complicated for the long term. The grieving is not fun. Um, but it changes everything. It really does. I just think that's so important. Well, I'm really hoping that this sparks a renewal in so many churches that have been looking for that spark for revitalization and uh, a good challenge to all of us who lead in the church, whether that's in a lay capacity or staff capacity. That's kind of what it's all about. Can I make a Darryl, suggestion? Uh, yeah, please. I think I, we should pray for pastors sure. now. Leaving Let's in this space. So, Would you lead us? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Father, I um, I think of those pastors out there right now, especially right now, the pastors of large churches that are seeing missional success, are seeing guests, are seeing salvations, and um, keep that fire alive. May they not be content until every knee in their town or their city bows to you. And for those pastors who are in smaller and mid-sized churches that are plateaued, that, that overall things are okay. Um, but they are plateaued and they know it. And maybe they're just feeling like a little bit going through the motions. No one's demanding anything of them towards mission. Um, will you give them a renewed passion for you and your kingdom? I pray even in this moment that you do that, that you even give them a direct next step, maybe a conversation with a board member, an elder, maybe a staff member. But give them guidance in what that looks like to, to get out of that plateau. That's not what you have for them. But then, Father, especially for pastors that are currently in declining churches, um, where maybe the writing's on the wall, maybe the disappointment and the frustration, um, maybe the giving up to some extent, um, it is only through your Holy Spirit um, that they need a fresh wind. And most likely that's going to come from you and it's going to come from someone around them. But would you do that and would you do it soon, if I may, if I may pray that boldly, um, that fresh wind of you? Uh, a next step that they can take. Um, will you meet them in the space they're in? I, I know this. Um, it is not your will. It is not your desire for any church to be plateaued or declining. Um, you want to see people reach. This is your plan A. So give them perspective in that. And also give them patience and boldness. Um, yeah. We pray for those pastors. We lay them before you, Lord. We are grateful for those pastors because we have been influenced by pastors. I am grateful. In your son's name, amen.
Amen. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to ask, because uh, I'm sure some people want to find you online, connect with you. What's the best way to do that, Daryl? Yeah, absolute best way is just email, to be honest. Um, uh, you you ready for this? You're okay giving it out? I'm okay. I'm okay. All right. All Maybe right. be Go a ahead. little bit patient in the beginning, but yes, mm. I'm totally okay. It's the easiest way. Um, that's just very simply Daryl, D-A-R-Y-L, at Amplio, A-M-P-I-L-O dot group. So Daryl Amplio dot group. I know that'll probably be in the show notes as well, but yeah. Um, yeah. And reach out. Let's have a conversation. If for no other reason than encouragement, I'm okay with that. I want a whole bunch more local churches on mission, Carrie. That's what I want to see. You're, so. you're a gift to the church. You're a gift to the listeners of this podcast. And uh, we share a very similar heartbeat to see the decline in the church reversed. And I think you really... Um, helped us focus on the heart of it today. And certainly this has been good for my heart too. I had one of those conversations a couple of weeks ago before we recorded this and it had been a minute. I mean, I travel, I'm on airplanes all the time. I'm talking to church leaders, you know, you get into your bubble, it's a different bubble, but I'll tell you, it was so refreshing. It was so good. And I continue to pray for that couple. And, uh, yeah. I had a moment, Carrie, recently where, um, hopelessness have set in a little bit with my particular ones. Um, uh, there's a story behind that, but there's been this moment of hopelessness and am I still in? I'm, wow. in, a, I'm in a personal space right now. Of right. That. And you can't just quit them and go on to your next no. quote prospect. Cause that's not what but it's I, about. Uh, there's moments, Gary. <laughs> um, but um, when we're recording this, it just happened last week and I won't go into details, but there was, there was a movement on something I didn't expect. And it's in the scheme of things, it is minor, but it was absolutely God saying, Oh no, 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 no. I'm still at work. I'm still. Yeah. At work. And yeah. I was reminded that as leaders, we need those moments. We need to see progress. I need to know that God's still working. And he is, I know in my heart he is. But I encourage leaders to go. That's one of the reasons for sharing all of it together is to see, oh, yeah, yeah, God's still at work. God's still in this. We need that reminder, right? We're human, and he knows that. And so, yeah, and I, I echo your comment of even for you a couple weeks ago going, oh, that's right, right? That's right. This that's still matters. Right. This, is, this, is, this is how this goes. I remember. Yeah. 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 Uh, Daryl, you've been a real gift today to everybody. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. I thought you might enjoy that episode. And man, doesn't it make sense? I mean, as soon as Daryl said that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we got to have this conversation. So you can get a lot more in the show notes. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 634. And you'll also find transcripts there as well as a list of links to things that we talk about in this episode. Also, if you are looking for guidance, really specific guidance on the ins and outs of church leadership, check out my Art of Leadership Academy. You can visit theartofleadershipacademy.com or click the link in the description of this episode. You're going to team up with a couple thousand other really bright, really sharp leaders who want to grow their church just like you do. And check out church.tech. You know, with one button, just click the button. They will turn your weekend message into social media clips, devotions, conversation guides, and a whole lot more. Visit church.tech to get started and use the code Carrie at checkout. Well, next episode, Cal Newport is back on the podcast. Man, I love talking with Cal. I've followed him for years. You're familiar with deep work, digital minimalism, a world without email. 
He's got a brand new book called Slow Productivity, and I loved it. And so we're going to be talking with Cal next episode. Also coming up, Jenny Allens, Jeff Jones, Daniel Harkavy, Willie and Corey Robertson, George Camel, John Tyson, Lee Strobel, and a whole lot more on the podcast. And I got one more thing for you for free because you've listened to the end. Uh, first of all, if you want to share this with other people, if it was helpful to you, please do so. Just hit the share button wherever you're listening to this podcast. And I would like to give you something free before we wrap up. Do you know tens of thousands of leaders use the preaching cheat sheet every week? They've downloaded it. Tens of thousands of leaders use it every week to run their message through to make sure it's going to connect before they deliver it. So I would love to get a free copy of that in your hands. Simply go to preachingcheatsheet.com to download your copy. The link will also be available in the show notes. Hey, I hope this episode really helped you. If it did, let us know on social media. If you're watching it on YouTube, let us know on YouTube. And in the meantime, we'll catch you next time. And I hope our time together today helped you identify and break a growth barrier you're facing.